All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along in your outline on screen or on the Central Church app. Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We're eventually going to wind up in Acts chapter 19, um, but we're going to get there through Revelation chapter 2. Again, we're starting a brand new series today called Habits. Uh, for the next five weeks, um, we're going to be looking at the five points of connection here at Central. Um, people always ask us how long is the series going to be, and sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we, we stretch them out. This one, five weeks because there's five points. Um, I joked in the first service that we might, like one of them, we might make two parts, but we're, we're not going to do that. They're going to be five, five weeks long, and we're going to go through all five points, one a week. And here's why. Um, at Central, we believe that, that we're called um, the reason this church exists is to connect people to Jesus and each other. And we believe that taking next steps to develop certain habits in life as you grow in your relationship and with other, or with Jesus and with others is vital. And so we have five points of connection to help us along the way. Um, there are 10 regularly, invite boldly, give generously, serve purposefully, and connect relationally. And those are not in any order and we don't say them necessarily in any order. Um, so you can't figure out in what order we're going to be preaching them every week. Um, we're not doing that on purpose, so you don't like not show up on the give week. There is going to be a give generously week, and I know that's going to be like the lowest attendance one. So here's what I can promise you. It won't be the last week, because that's when you'll be able to like process of elimination to figure out which one it's going to be. Um, but we're going to go through all of them, um, because we, we really value those things here. Um, this week, we're starting out with attend regularly. That's, that's what this week is about. It's the habit of making the church a priority. If you look around in our sanctuary, out in our foyer, or you see online, um, all of these things that we hold as values, um, we've put little taglines on them, and we've, we went with the word habit um, to make it simple. So when somebody asks you what is Central Church, and what is, what is Central Church about, or what is Central Church value, or what is, how do you get connected at Central Church, it's, it's these five things, and it's really simple for you to say, attend regularly. That's just the habit of making church a priority. Now let me go ahead and set this up with a statement that maybe you've heard before. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't heard it. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you've heard it. We've said it before. It's this. What we value will ultimately determine what we do. What you value will ultimately determine what you do. What I value will ultimately determine what I do. If we value something, it is literally going to impact everything about our lives, our behaviors, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our habits. What we value will ultimately determine what we do. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? Yes, most of us, yes. The rest of us are like, ah, I don't know. It's true, though. It's true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a church. And so it's essential to understand if you're visiting a church or you're thinking about getting connected to a church and calling a certain church your church home, it's essential to understand what the church values. Because once you understand what the church values, you will ultimately discover what that church does and why that church does what that church does. Does that make sense? I, I want to show you this by looking at a church in the Bible in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, uh, I'm going to read you something about Ephesus in the book of Revelation in a second. But let me give you a little bit of background first. Um, in Acts chapter 18 and 19, we see the apostle Paul himself planted the church in Ephesus. He later writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. We call it the book of Ephesians in the Bible. Timothy 
who Paul wrote First and Second Timothy to, was the pastor at the church in Ephesus for a little while. The John, the Apostle John, um, who wrote the book of Revelation, who also wrote First, Second, Third John, and the Gospel of John, was an elder at the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus is pretty important, yes or no? Yeah, um, the church of Ephesus had some major impact in early Christianity, and it was only a city of about 250,000 people. So we're going to look at this, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read what Jesus said to the church. And, and here's why. Like, I find it fascinating that what Jesus said like 2,000 years ago, it's amazing how it still applies to our lives today. And so check this out. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now real quick, right here, Jesus is declaring, I am present in the church. He's saying anytime that the church gets together corporately, I am there. This is, this is him going a little bit farther in the whole idea of where two or three are gathered in my name, in their midst, I, I, am, I am with them. Jesus is saying when the church is together, I am there. And when he says, I walk among the seven golden lampstands, that's a reference back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 20, where he calls the seven golden lampstands the church. And so Jesus is saying, hey, in the church... I am there. And so the reality, how that translates to us, is the reality is, is that here this morning, guess who's with us? Jesus, right? Jesus is here. If we're gathered together in his name, he is here with us. Listen, don't don't miss this. Every single time we gather together as a church, Jesus is here. And when Jesus is here, Jesus has a word for us. Like God has a word for us corporately, but don't miss this. He also has a word for us individually. Like God has something that he wants to say to you in every single service you come to. God has something he wants to say to you this morning. One of the greatest tragedies that can happen when you walk out of a church is you walk out saying, oh, that was just a nice service. And and you didn't take time to hear the voice of God. Like uh, one of the, one of the worst things that really that you can do is to walk out and say, well, I hope my husband heard that message. Hope my wife heard that message. If you say that, you missed it. Like we, we come to church many times and, and listen, I've done this. And so I am 100% not dogging you, but we come to church obsessed with hearing, with like, like wanting other people to hear what they need to hear rather than us hearing what we need to hear, right? Like we come in saying, God, you need to deal with them. And God, you need to speak to her. And God, he better deal with this before he gets out of here. And God, I went, no, 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 no. We need to say, God, I want you to deal with me, right? That, that's what we want. And we should look at, we should, we should search after that. We should desire that knowing that we come in here, Jesus is here. Now, this is cool because it goes on in verse 2. It says, I know all the things you do. Now, that's not always a good thing, right? I told you a couple weeks ago that you can't hide from God. Like, he knows everything. Um, But right here, it's a good thing because he says this. I know your deeds. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Jesus is saying, hey, I see 
that you're working hard. And basically he's saying like, I, I, I see it. Like you don't, you don't need to go above and beyond and show me like I see it. Because it's, it's funny to me how Christians always feel the need to inform God on how hard we're working. Like he knows. He knows. Like we don't have to inform him. He knows we're working hard. And, and I think that's one of the things that's valuable in the church is a group of people who are willing to work hard. And I believe we have that here. I believe we have that here at this church. We have greeters. We have kids workers. We have people who take care of the donuts and coffee. I'm so appreciative of every single one of you. We serve the community very well. There are people in this church that work really, really hard. And that's a good thing. And I believe if Jesus was, was, was speaking to us, he would say, hey, you're a hardworking church. Like that's a, that's a good thing. I believe we can kind of check that off our box. Then he goes on to say this. I know you don't tolerate evil people. In other words, you don't allow them in. Evil people, like you don't allow them in. You don't allow sin in the church. See, the church in Ephesus actually practiced this thing called church discipline. Church discipline, let me explain church discipline real quick. Church discipline is when members of a church begin to go outside of the church and live their lives in ways that are not in harmony with the scripture. Listen, they, 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 they live their lives in ways that aren't harmon, aren't in harmony with the cause of Jesus Christ. And what we see here in the church of Ephesus is that they would call people in and they would go, hey, it's been reported to us that you're doing this. Are you doing this? Yes or no? And if it was yes, some steps would be taken to walk them through some church discipline in order to restore them, um, to restore their relationship with God, to reconcile them. Like, like the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ is about reconciliation. And so the church should be about reconciling people back in their relationship with God. It's a very loving thing when a church does this. By the way, this church practices church discipline. We do. If we find something out, we call the person in. Hey, this has been reported. Is this, is this even true? We give the benefit of the doubt, but we ask, you know, is this even true? Um, we literally do practice it here because it is effective. Um, there are people in this church right now who are going through church discipline. Let me read you their names. That was a really long pause. Like, you were like, oh, shoot. I'm not going to read it, but it's there. <laughs> Let's keep going. I know you don't tolerate evil people. And look, look at this. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. Now, that's huge. Like, don't, don't skim over that because he said, hey, great job, Church of Ephesus. You, you've tested people to see if they claim who they, or, or see if they are who they claim to be. And when they're not, you've, you've called them liars. Like, you've got a strong belief in biblical doctrine. That's another great value for a church to have. Uh, we have that here. All right, a strong belief in biblical doctrine. Like you, you got to have that. You got to you got to know who the wolves are, and you got to keep the wolves away from the sheep, and you've got to do all of those things. And he's, they're saying, "Hey, they're liars. You're getting them out. You're not having anything to do with them." Like that's a, that's a good place for you to be. Verse three, he says, "You have patiently suffered for me without quitting." In other words, you, you keep going, you keep showing up every week. You've not grown weary. You work hard. You endure. You persevere. All that stuff. It's awesome. But then he goes here in verse 4. He says this, But this complaint I have against you. Now this right here, this, this is not good. This is Jesus going, All right, guys, here's the deal. Over here, you're doing really good. Like this stuff right here, you're doing great. But over here... You suck. Like, this is a big problem, and we got to deal with I, I know your Jesus wouldn't say suck, but 
you grew up with safe Jesus, and we're talking about real Jesus around here. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, I hold this against you. Like, this stuff over here is great, but this right here, this is a bad deal. He's about to tell him, here's the problem. It's a big problem. Look at this. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. That's a big problem. Huge problem. Because Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus, hey, you have forsaken your first love. Now, now don't miss this, because this is loaded. Because on one hand, he's like, hey, you guys work hard. You're doing great things. You practice church discipline. You have a strong biblical doctrine. You haven't grown weary. You're showing up every week. All that's great. But here's the problem. You don't love me anymore. You're immersed in religious activity for activity's sake. And, and, and you're not doing what you do because you love me. That, that's huge. I remember the first time reading that, discovering what it, what it really meant. And I'm like, you know, it, it's, it's completely possible, even in our culture today, to get completely immersed in church culture and not ever truly fall in love with Jesus. Isn't that crazy? He goes on to say this, look how far you have fallen. Notice the exclamation point right there. Like Jesus isn't crying about this. Jesus is, 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 he is, he's fired up about this. Look how far you have fallen. Then he says this, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. That's huge. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. In other words, I'll punch your lights out. At least that's how I, I know I read the Bible weird, but I'm thinking that's what he said. But, but that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I'm pretty ticked off. You need to repent and do the things that you did at first. Now, commentators, people who study this passage always say, well, what did, what did the church of Ephesus do, do at first? And there's all kinds of speculation. But here's what's beautiful. The best commentary on the Bible is what? Anybody want to guess? The Bible, right? Best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So you don't have to wonder what the church at Ephesus did at first. We have the story of the church of Ephesus in the book of Acts. So if you flip over to Acts chapter 19, you can see what Jesus is referring to. This is what he's saying they need to do. He's like, hey, you need to get back to this. You're valuing the wrong thing. And what you value will ultimately determine what you do. And he's saying, hey, you need to go in a different direction. I don't like the direction of your church because you're doing everything you're doing with a cold heart. So turn back and repent. Now, right here, I'm gonna make the attempt to dive in to this whole habit of attend regularly and making church a priority. Um, I'm going at it a different direction than what I originally had planned. Um, but I believe um, right here in, in Revelation and the way we go through in Acts right here and see this church in Ephesus, I believe Jesus highlights some values um, that I want to point out as we go through this message. And, and these are things, like honestly, these are things that a church should have that drive you towards regular church attendance, all right? So the first one, number one, is evangelism. The church should value evangelism. Now, evangelism is simply telling somebody about Jesus Christ. That's all it is. In its simplest form, that's it. It's you and I going out, talking to somebody about Jesus outside of these walls, sharing Jesus, inviting boldly. We'll talk about that later on in this series. But listen to me. Inviting boldly, inviting boldly is loving. Everybody say loving is loving someone enough to tell them about Jesus. Loving someone enough. Loving someone. Don't tell me you love somebody if you won't talk to them about Jesus. Well, Ryan, you just don't understand. No, I do understand. I do. 
I understand that life is short and hell is hot. Love them enough to tell them about Jesus. I understand way better than you think I do. Well, it would complicate things. Of course it's going to complicate things. Jesus said things will be complicated, so it will. Tell them about Jesus. See, we don't mind telling people about our great experiences in life. You have no problem talking about a great food experience at Bordenero's or whatever your favorite restaurant is, right? Like just this morning, I had somebody come up to me and show me some food that they had cooked from Bordenero's over the weekend. It looked absolutely phenomenal, amazing. I told somebody about some sushi I had last weekend. We talked about those experiences. Like we don't have any problem talking about those great experiences. You and I don't have a problem talking about a great movie. You don't have a problem inviting someone to share in a in a binge show on Netflix or whatever. Evangelism is when we love someone enough to share Jesus with them. Who, who do you love enough to share Jesus with? That, that's what evangelism is. Because listen, if we're not careful, we'll get wrapped up in church culture. And church culture says contain Jesus. Contain Jesus. Jesus is inside of these walls. He's here. You told us he's here. And he's here when we gather together. So this is where we're going to keep him. And we want to come in here and we want you to play music that only applies to us. And we want you to preach messages that make us smarter. We want to contain Jesus. We want to keep him here. That's what church culture says. Contain. But the Bible says proclaim Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. We've simply got to decide, church, where do we want to live? Where do we want to be? Are we going to contain him or are we going to proclaim him? We value, just so you know, we value evangelism in this church, and we always will. It is the driving force behind every single thing that we do. Everything. Everything that we do here at Central Church is driven by this idea of evangelism, sharing Jesus, connecting people to Jesus and each other. Everything. We see this in the book of Acts. This is the start of the church of Ephesus. It says this, starting in verse 8 of chapter 19. Then Paul, then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you why this is huge. Paul, when he first gets to Ephesus, he goes to the synagogue. This is where the church people hung out. This is where people who knew the Old Testament were hanging out. This is where people who understood the prophecy of the Messiah were all hanging out. These are church people. Right, this is church culture. But if you can believe this, I know it's going to be a stretch, but if you can believe this, there was a time 2,000 years ago, a church culture that actually existed where people would show up and had this thought, it's all about me. Can you believe that? People came into a church and thought, it's all about me. And people thought, I'll evaluate the worship based on what I want. I'll evaluate whether or not it's a good service based on whether or not I get the seat I get to sit in every Sunday morning. I'll evaluate the church based on whether it's a nice, nice quiet church or whether they happen to do some things that make me a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. I will evaluate the church based on the ministry that is done for me rather than the ministry that is done through me to other people. Can you believe that there was a church culture that existed like that 2,000 years ago? And Paul went in and he argued, hey... Uh-uh. It's about the kingdom of God. See, there were two dominant themes about the kingdom of God in that time period. Number one is there was a group of people in the church that thought the kingdom of God is for us. The kingdom of God is only for us. The kingdom of God is about us. The kingdom of God is about everything that we do. And then on the flip side, there was Paul. 
And what he was arguing for was that the kingdom of God was for the lost and dying world outside of the doors of the church, people who had never heard the message of Jesus Christ. That's who it was for. And so there was this argument that took place. And then something really extreme happens in the next verse. Look at this, verse 9. But some of them, <laughs> some of the church people, some of them became, what's that next word say? Stubborn. Can, can you believe church people would ever act that way? Honestly. Some of them became stubborn, rejecting his message. The, the message of the kingdom of God was for people outside of the church. And publicly speaking against the way. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're publicly speaking against Jesus. So Paul left the synagogue. That's huge. Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, I want to stop. Paul made a conscious decision to walk away from church culture. Don't, don't miss that because that's huge. He made the decision to walk away from church, not, not just the church, but from the culture of that church. And we're about to see the results of what happened. Before we go on, I want you to know this. Central Church, we have made a conscious decision to walk away from church culture. The vision of Central Church is not keeping people happy one person at a time. That's why I can say, not with arrogance, but with confidence and conviction, I don't care what your church friends think about the way that we do church. I don't care. I don't. Because church culture isn't working anymore. O over half of the churches in America today are plateaued or declining. Over half of the churches in America. Estimates say that between eight and 10,000 churches in America have closed their doors permanently since COVID. Church attendance across the nation is down 40% since March of 2020. 40% church attendance is down. And if the churches are growing, only 2 to 3% of those churches are growing because people are actually coming to know Jesus in those churches. You know why? We've gotten out of the habit of making church a priority and putting first our first love, which is Jesus Christ. And, and, and I get it. I get church culture isn't working. We've known that for years. That's one of the reasons that we do church the way that we do church here at Central. Years ago, we made the decision, you know what? We're not going to be for church people. We're just not. We don't care. We're going to do whatever it takes short of sin to reach people for Jesus, to connect people to Jesus and each other. That's what we're going to do, and that's what we're about. Anyway, let's keep going. Verse 10. This went on for the next two years. Now, now, now look what happens when you walk away from church culture and embrace evangelism. Look what happens. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. That's a lot of people. People all throughout the province of Asia. How is it? How did that happen? How did the people hear that in just two years? It's very simple. They invited boldly. They embraced evangelism. People loved Jesus so much that they took the message of Jesus Christ outside the walls of the church and they shared Jesus with people they genuinely cared about. And in two years, an entire city had heard the gospel. We, we could do it in a day. It's another message for another time. But in two years, they had all heard it. Now, anytime a church embraces evangelism, a problem is going to develop. Now, and watch this. It happens here. This is like the first ultimate fight that's ever happened. Like this, this is amazing. If you think the Bible is boring, you've never read or heard this story before because this is great. Verse 11. 
God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched the skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Look at this, verse 13. This is huge. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches to come out. So, so they're not doing it right, right? So you know this is not going to go well at all. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, which by the way, I got to say this, every single time I read this, this would be an incredible name for a punk rock band. Can, can you see that? <laughs> we are the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> That's, it's just me. Again, I know I read the Bible all crazy. Seven sons of Sceva. I wonder if there is one. Like... <laughs> I got to focus. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it. The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul. But look at this. I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? In other words, I've heard about this guy and, and, and I know about this one. But who are you? Like, really? Who, who are you? Who are you? Like, like seriously, who who are you? Because it gets crazy. Verse 16. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them. This is one man against the seven sons of Sceva, right? So one against seven, leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house. Look at this. Naked and battered. Listen, if you get in a fight and somebody beats you to a point where you're running away naked and bleeding, you lost the fight. I don't care what excuses you come up with. Well, you see, what had happened was, no, it doesn't matter what had happened was. What had happened was, you got the pants kicked off of you, dog. Like, that's bad, right? That's what Satan does. Satan comes after us and attacks the church. And you would think that the church of Ephesus would see this and, and, and they would just they would just fold up because of it. They would be like, oh man, we don't we don't have anything to do with this. But we see what this church esteems. In fact, write this down. What we value, we esteem. What we value will ultimately determine what we do and what we value, we esteem. And we can see what the church in Ephesus esteems. Listen, we all esteem certain things, all of us, like sports teams or cars or whatever. We can sit here, we can make a huge list. And for time's sake, we're not going to. I think though, in America... We have lost our dang minds over what we esteem. Yes or no? Yeah. Like, for instance, I have a friend many years ago. He moved into a new neighborhood. And a couple days later, like two days, it was on his second day there, he got a letter from one of his neighbors. And the letter said, I'm the president of the Homeowners Association, and you need to cut your grass. And then it went through all of this stuff. He got on the phone with me. I told Mary about it. I said, honestly, man, if that happened to me, I'd paint our grass purple. And I purposely plant weeds in there, and I teach the dogs how to poop on the neighbor's front lawn. Like, seriously, if the quality of your life is based upon whether or not somebody else cuts their grass, come on now, that's crazy, right? It's absolutely awful. The point is, we, we value things that are way too small in light of who Jesus is. Do, do you understand that? Do, do you get that? 
Because look what happens at the church of Ephesus. Like, look what they valued. They didn't even stay on that point. Verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. So Jews and Greeks, uh, to the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. In other words, they greatly esteemed the name of Jesus. They evangelized people all over the province of Asia. People are hearing about Jesus. People are coming to church. The church is growing. This happens, this attack happens against the church, and it causes them to say, you know what? We're not going to quit. We're not going to stop. We're in the habit of going. We're going to keep doing it. And matter of fact, we're going to even higher lift up the name of Jesus. I want you to understand, this church right here, Central Church, we say it all the time. We are about the name of Jesus. God has not called us to protest. God has not called us to condemn. Because what happens when churches get hijacked by those things is they stop preaching the gospel. Here at this church, we are all about and only about who Jesus is. Because without Jesus crucified on the cross for your sin and my sin, put in a borrowed tomb, came to life three days later, ascended to the right hand of the Father, raised in authority, understanding that one day he's coming back to start the party for some and end the party with others, understanding that That's who our life is supposed to be about and we're supposed to esteem his name. That's why we do this thing called the church because he died for it. The Bible calls it his bride. It says he's coming back for it whether you like it or not. And so this church is always going to esteem the name of Jesus and his bride and we're gonna make it a priority. How about you? Like, it's great. We clap, we clap, but is that really what we're going to live? Is that really what we're going to show? Because some people esteem other things other than Jesus. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some people that esteem comfort more than they esteem Jesus. They will not do what God has called them to do because in order to do that, it's going to call them to an uncomfortable place. And my question to you is where, where, where in the scripture did God ever ask anybody to do anything that made any sense or was comfortable? They value comfort more. Some people value sex more than Jesus. Some people value money more than Jesus. Listen, they, they, they can't follow Jesus because of how much they love money. Like, like we, we can make a huge list here and talk all morning long about things that we value more than Jesus. But listen, if we, if we esteem anything more than Jesus, we're not going to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And we should value what Jesus valued. And I'm going to argue that dying for the church made it pretty valuable in the eyes of Jesus. Yes or no? And so it should be valuable to us too. We are called as a church, an individual. L- l- listen, what, what you and I lift up, what we lift up, we will live out. Don't miss that. What, what you and I lift up, we will live out. And if we're not lifting up Jesus, it's impossible to live him out on a daily basis. That's why church is important. When we're gathered together, we establish this. When we're gathered together, Jesus is here. When we're gathered together, we should be lifting up the name of Jesus. Listen, we don't need an ever-increasing view of ourselves. We need an ever-increasing view of Jesus. Would you agree? Yes, because as we esteem him and seriously live out our lives for him, unbelievable things happen. And so here's my question for you before I move on. Is there anything in your life that you're esteeming, that you're valuing, that you're holding higher than Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you're loving or esteeming more than Jesus? If so, you got work to do. Because he's telling the church in Ephesus, and he's telling us today, what you value will ultimately determine what you do. What you value 
will ultimately determine what you do. The last one is eager. We need to be eager to live for him. The, the church should have a value of an eagerness to live for him. Um, the other day, this actually happened to me twice. Um, I, I put this illustration in the notes, and then um, Friday um, we, we were coming back from Storm Lake. And so both, both instances, I, I drove past a skating rink. Um, every time I drive past a skating rink, my mind goes back to junior high and junior high skating rink. Remember, remember the skating rink? Like if you're, if you're under 30, you probably don't get the skating rink. But everybody above 30, you understand the skating rink? How, how many of you skating rink understand what I'm talking about? Like your mom drove, my mom takes us home, like that, that type of thing. We, we meet up there. I loved, when I was a kid, I loved at first, I loved going to the skating rink. Pretty soon though, I began to hate the skating rink. And here's why. The times they were having the all skates, everyone knows all skate. Those are fun, right? Remember that? All skate, you're out there skating. It's probably how I looked when I skate. At least I, I, I probably not. I don't know. That, that, that was weird. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. But all skates are great, right? All skates, man, they're playing your favorite music and you're out there with your friends and you're goofing off. And there's always that one person who's like 40 years older than everybody else who's going as fast as they can, right? Isn't that like at every skating rink? There's fast, is anybody in here fast person? Anybody? Anybody want to admit you're a fast guy? Nobody likes you. Like, no one. No. <laughs> but, but all skate, man, the all skate is fun. The problem came in when, like, a music would, the, that song would end, and they'd be like, everybody clear the floor. It is time for couple skate. We have a special request today from John to Tamara. Tamara, John wants you to know that you lace up his heart. <laughs> Right? They always said something cheesy like that. And then you're like, uh, like maybe you had somebody to skate with. Maybe you didn't. Like sometimes I had somebody, sometimes I didn't. But if you didn't, they sent you out to hug the wall, right? Remember that every skating rink has like that half wall around and you just go and you just sit there and you watch and you're waiting for it to be over. And you know the song is about to be over and you're getting ready to go back out for an all skate. But for me, this is where the wheels like figuratively and literally fell off is, is they wouldn't go right back into the all skate they'd be like okay everybody clear the floor it is time for backwards skate backwards skaters only (sighs) i couldn't backwards skate no matter how much i tried no matter how many times somebody tried to push me from around the waist around the thing like i could not backwards skate and so i hated it and i remember thinking man this stinks because i love coming to the skating rink all skates are great. All skates are so much fun. But the more and more and more I come here, it seems the more and more and more they're coming up with all these different specialty skates. And the more I think about, and I use that illustration year after year, is that's where I get to where I think, man, that's what the church is becoming today. That's what church culture is. Here's what I want you to know. And this will sit great with some people and not great with other people. Church is an all skate. I mean, when the church doors fly open, anyone is welcome here. It's an all skate. Anybody can show up. At this church, everybody look at me. At this church, anybody can show up. Hear exactly what I'm saying right now. Anybody can show up. Now, 
You're going to ask questions. You're going to say different things. There's church discipline. There's some other stuff that comes into play with all of that. I get that. I understand that. You need to understand that here. But anyone is welcome at church. But what the church culture has done in America is we've made it not an all skate. We've made it a specialty skate. We tell everybody, hey, go sit on the wall until you're good enough to come out here and skate with us. And, and let me tell you where this breaks down. We've created in the church the, per, the perception, the perfection perception. You know what I'm talking about? We're only perfect people. We're only pretty people who have their lives together can go to church. I talk to so many people outside of the church and they tell me I can't come to church. Why? Because I'm not perfect. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you how broken I am. And I'm the pastor. I know you're not perfect. But, but do you know the people who try to portray the image of perfection according to all of my years in the church? They're the most screwed up people on the planet. Listen, I'm glad you got a big Bible. And I'm glad it's got 37 ribbons in it. It doesn't mean you love Jesus. It, it, it doesn't. But, but you know what churches have done? And, and you know why people get sick of it? And why people aren't going back? Because there's been this culture that has said and shown you can't show up and freely admit to somebody, you know what? I do love Jesus, but I'm struggling. I do have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm wrestling with some things. There's something wrong in my life. My heart is broken and I'm doing things I know I shouldn't be doing. Is there somebody who can help me? And what has happened and what we are seeing is that churches tell people, no, 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 no. If that's you, uh uh-uh. Nope. Go sit on the wall over there until you get perfect. This is a place where only perfect people skate. And I'm telling you, there are no perfect people in this room, including me. And if you are perfect, leave because we're going to mess you up. Like like seriously, I mean, it, it just is. Watch this. Verse 18. Many who became believers, many, many who became believers. Are these church people or unchurched people at this point? Church people, right? Church people. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Imagine this. People in the church that did belong to Jesus start coming forward and saying, hey, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. My marriage isn't where it needs to be. I'm considering this. Will somebody please help me? And people went alongside and helped them. You know what? I'm going through this. I'm struggling in this area. I know I'm not honoring God. Will somebody please help me? And people came alongside and helped. For far too long, the church has taken people like this and said, read your Bible more, pray more, and you'll be fine. That's not working. I want this church to be a place of grace where people could come forward and confess sin for the purpose. Listen, not for the purpose of, I'm going to tell you about this, Pastor, but I'm only telling you about this because I know if I tell a man of the cloth, he's going to talk to God and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to keep going, but I feel better for telling you. That's not what this is set up for. That's not what this church is set up for. I want this to be a place where we are so eager to follow Jesus that, listen, we become obsessed, obsessed about repentance more so than our reputation. Listen, write that down. We need to become more obsessed about repentance rather than our reputation. Because for far too long in the church world, everybody walking in the doors of church, including Central Church, we care too much about how people see us. But remember what we value ultimately determine what we do. And if we're obsessed with our reputation, we will never confess and repent of the sin that will absolutely destroy us. Look at this, verse 19. A number of them 
who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. In other words, they got rid of their idols. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. God's word, this is what happens here. God's word started spreading even more powerfully when church people, people in the church, came in and confessed and repented of their own sins. And people saw that and the message grew. Central church is a safe place where you can do that. Nobody here is going to judge you. Because listen, we are, we are one of you and all of us. We are just trying to follow Jesus one step at a time. Now, let me show you where this all ties back together. Um, in Revelation, Jesus ends every letter to every church the same way. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I want you to listen to me. Because he wants, honestly, he wants what's best for our lives. He really does. To him who overcomes, don't miss that. Every letter to every church, Jesus says, I want you to overcome. Jesus' passion for your life and for my life is that we would walk in the victory that he's already promised us and provided us through the empty tomb. Like, that's, that's awesome, right? To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus wants for you as an individual and for us as a church to live in victory. And today, his call to victory for us is to share Jesus unapologetically, to esteem Jesus more than we esteem anything in our lives, and to be so eager to live for him that we put our reputation aside, that we admit that we're struggling and we legitimately ask for help. What you, deter, what, you, what you value would determine what you do. Do you value a relationship with Jesus? Do you? Do you value his bride, the church, enough to make it a priority in your life? Like, do you? Because listen to me, the idea and the notion that you could follow Jesus on a consistent basis without being involved in a church goes against 2,000 years of church history and hundreds of verses of scripture. You and I are called to regular church attendance and to belong to a local church. In fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You and I are called to be involved in the church and attend on a regular basis. And so, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Like, like, where are you going to get plugged into and attend regularly? Let, let me hit a couple things real fast, and then, and then I'm done. Because anytime we, we talk about this, a couple, of, a couple of questions, a couple themes seem to kind of come up. Um, a lot of people look at a church like Central and say, well, it's, it's just too big. It's too many services. It's just too big. I can't know everybody. Let me just ask a quick question, and then I'll move on. I'll get off this. Who really wants to keep the church small, Jesus or Satan? Satan, right? Like, think about this in your own life. You want your bank account to grow, don't you? Yes or no? Yes. You've never looked at your bank account and went, oh, my gosh, I'm so concerned with how big you're getting, bank account. You're too big. You know why you don't do that? Money is valuable to you. You know what's valuable to Jesus? People. Souls. That's what's valuable to Jesus. When a church grows, that means the kingdom of God is growing because they're focused on evangelism. The only people who want the church to remain small are people who are not in line with the things of God. 
Listen, if you're running around and you're saying, church is too big, I don't know anybody, there are too many services, I, I know one of two things about you. Number one, you're not in the connect group, and number two, you don't serve. You're not in the connect group, and you don't serve. See, I would argue that the church is supposed to grow larger and smaller at the same time. We'll, we'll talk about those two things in the coming weeks, but I'll say this today. If you're not plugged into a connect group, I would recommend that you get plugged into one today. If you're not serving somewhere, I would recommend that you start serving. You get signed up to serve somewhere today. If you don't know where to get signed up for a connect group or which one to get connected to or where to serve, growth track next week. Sign up for growth track after third service, eat food, learn about all of those things and plug in. That's one of the ways we make sure that the church is not too big. Another one of the things we hear around central, because we do series is a lot and, and we'll be doing a particular series, and, and I've literally heard this. People will go, oh, I know what the message is going to be today. I don't need to go. Let me say this. I'm going to say this very unapologetically and very directly, and I want you to hear exactly what I'm saying. It is arrogant to assume that you know what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do in your life through the preaching of his word because you know a sermon title? Really? Man, we, we've done messages on tithing and people have gotten saved in this church. What God does through the power of his Holy Spirit through the preaching of his word is unbelievable. That's why you and I are called to attend regularly, regular church attendance. L listen to me. I don't know anyone on the planet that's really walking with Jesus and not going to church regularly. I'm telling you, regular church attendance grows our faith in Jesus. Let's get back into the habit. Let's pray. Right now, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you this question. What did God say to you? What did God say to you today? If we truly believe that God speaks to us through the preaching of his word, what, what did God say to you? What about the message, if anything, stuck out to you today? What do you say? For some of you, it, it might be that Jesus and his mercy showed you something that you're esteeming more than, than you're esteeming him. Maybe you understand that what we lift up, we will live out. Maybe for some of us, this whole idea of making church a priority. What, what is it for you? What does God speak? The next part of that question is if, if God spoke to you, will you take the next several moments to speak back to him? If God so loving, lovingly spoke to your heart, don't miss the opportunity to respond to him today. Don't, don't miss that. So God, I pray that you would just continue during these moments, our last moments here in this place together this morning, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, that you would draw us. God, that we would feel your presence. God, I ask that you move in the hearts of your people in ways that only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.